All of us need encouragement, especially in difficult times, and that's why the Apostle Paul uh, writes the second letter to Timothy, a situation with Paul himself imprisoned, what we believe to be for his final time, as well as with Timothy going through hardships and difficulties and encouraging him to not be ashamed, but to continue his work in the faith and his work with the gifts that God has given him. It's an interesting transition that happens in the second half of this book that we come to chapter 3 of Second Timothy and you have now uh, the Apostle Paul describing the circumstances of life in the last days. Uh, After encouraging Timothy and explaining to him how he needs to live and what he needs to do, the second half now really spends a lot of time talking about the various things that Timothy is going to face, as well as then all of the people of God. You'll notice that it begins with uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So immediately starting off with, you need to understand a particular reality. And and it should just be obvious by the context itself that the last days can't be something way out in the future. Otherwise, what's the point of telling Timothy this? You're trying to speak to Timothy and say, hey, Timothy, I need you to have courage and faith because in the last days, a really, really long time from now, uh, certain things are going to happen. What's the point? Obviously, Timothy is experiencing difficulty because he's living in the last days. And that is something that is clear from scriptures that when you read about the last days or the latter days or last times or something along those lines, you are always referring to the time of the arrival of Christ and then the events that follow his arrival. That's why the writer of Hebrews, who likely writes in the late 60s AD, can can write it and, and say long ago, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. That even the writer then is saying, we're in the last days and we continue to be in the last days. And so what Paul then writes to Timothy is valuable because he's saying, here is what life looks like in the last days. Here are the things that are going to happen. And here is what you need to do to have faith in such times and circumstances. And so what he tells Timothy is helpful to us as we live in the last days as well, awaiting for Christ's return. And so he begins by just simply saying our straightforward point in the last days. It's going to be hard to be a Christian. In the last days, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And that's probably a useful thing to have in mind right out of the gate. As God never said, being a Christian in these days was going to be easy or comfortable or simple or painless or any of those kinds of things. He begins by telling him, there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be hardships. It's not going to be easy, Timothy. And he then starts laying out the reasons why. And listen to the descriptions that he gives in verse 2. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, 
brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, it is perhaps easy to read those and go, yeah, boy, things out there are really bad. And it sounds just like all the things that you're reading about here. The problem with that is that's always true. (laughs) That's always the case. Reading this and saying this is the way the rebellious world is going to be is not news. That goes all the way back to the very start. Of course, outsiders and people who live in rebellion to God exhibit these characteristics. That's not the issue. The problem is, is when there are people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, and yet these are their characteristics. This is what Paul has been writing about a lot of the hurt that he has experienced. He'll write more about that in the fourth chapter, that the damage and the pain and the hardships have come because people who were close to him, people who were his companions and Christians have abandoned him, have deserted him, have not been with him through thick and thin. And so here you're seeing a picture of these descriptions of people who are claiming to be followers of God. That is ultimately the issue. And you certainly see that in verse five when it says they have an appearance of godliness. Uh, They're faking it. They're, They're putting forward a front. Here's a there's perception of godly Christian, but inside there's all of these other things that are going on. And I think one of the things that is interesting of all the things that you would perhaps pick out as a characteristic that you would want to start with as a description of those who are fake or false Christians. Notice the first one in verse two. He says these people, they will be. Lovers of self. And that really is the ultimate problem of sin. I could think pretty successfully argue that all of the sins that are even listed here all come from the problem of loving self. Being lovers of self, he puts forward as the very first description, rather than loving God and rather than seeking the well-being of God and his people, they love themselves. And that's why I think it's so important as a, as a picture that's given here is sometimes that we have to be careful about what culture tells us and teaches us about what is right and good and healthy and things like that, that we need to listen to what God says about that. And here's our first warning. If you love yourself, you are not going to make godly decisions. There is going to be a form of godliness, but not the actual power of belonging to Christ and belonging to him and acting in a way that God would have for us to act. And then you think about these descriptions here. There's not time, but it would certainly be a whole lot of fun to consider some of the things that, that are listed there. I mean, the first couple are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. You know, these are all self-driven problems about thinking about self, putting self first. Uh, interesting, uh, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, heartless. Uh, these are really fascinating pictures that Paul is giving to describe the characteristics of these people who are a problem that claim to be followers of Christ. And yet these are the realities within them. And the reason why these characteristics are important to list is you'll notice at the end of verse five, he says, I want you to avoid those people. Isn't that interesting? 
People who exhibit these characteristics, they're lovers of self, they're lovers of money, they're heartless, disobedient to parents, don't care about the things of God, having a form of godliness, denying its power. Notice his conclusion that he says to this. You just need to watch out for those people and stay back. Just avoid those kinds of people. And that might be surprising to us, but he's going to explain the reasons why here from verse uh, verse six to verse nine. He explains, here's why you need to watch out for them. And I think the best way to sum it up is that they're dangerous people. Look at verse six. For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. I think this is interesting because this, again, when we bring in these two examples, these two names, we don't have their names anywhere, but apparently named as two of these rebels against Moses. Remember, you're getting a picture of these were supposedly people of Israel, but they are these characteristics that are exhibited. So, again, you're talking about people who are claiming to be Christians but are false He says that they're dangerous. And the first picture is really interesting. My best summary of verse six is to say what they have the tendency to do is to target people and take advantage of them. That's what's being depicted here is here are these, uh, I guess, in whatever circumstances going on in Ephesus where Timothy's at targeting these women who feel guilty for whatever reason about whatever sins or whatever's happened in their life or whatever's going on. And they use that to their own advantage to take advantage of those people. So they are lovers of self and thinking of self. I think that's an interesting picture is that one of the reasons to avoid them, to watch out for them, is they're going to take advantage of you. They're trying to harm you. They are trying to get themselves ahead and will do damage to you in the process. And so he describes a situation that's that's given there. But one of the things that is interesting is he doesn't just simply say in verse 6, and watch out for people who are taking advantage of you. Are you a little bit surprised about the lengthiness of the description that's given here about this particular circumstance? Verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at the, at the knowledge of the truth. It's almost as if you have this side warning that's being thrown in right here. Like, I want you to realize why these people are being taken advantage of and captured by these false Christians. And he uses a description here and he just says, They've been led astray by their various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's an interesting description. Always learning, but they never do anything about it. It never develops a conclusion for their faith. It never gives them something to stand on. Sure, they're always listening, always learning, but it never changes them. It never does anything. It never causes an action. It never comes out in some kind of fruit. Instead, it's just always intake. I think it's an interesting side warning how he says that because Paul could have just simply said, you know, they're taking advantage of people you need to watch out for. But then he describes 
The condition by which they're being taken advantage of is that they don't have a stand for the truth in a way that they've allowed God's words to change them so that they will act upon it. Instead, they're just always learning, but nothing ever comes of it. And then you'll notice he returns to the characteristics of these people in verse 8 when he just simply describes them as corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They oppose the truth. And so therefore they are to be watched out for, to be avoided. I think that's just an important reminder to us because this is what is supposed to be the encouragement to Timothy is Timothy realize in the last days there are going to be people who claim to follow Jesus and they're not even close. And not only are they not even close, they're actually going to use this guise of Christianity to oppose the truth and to take advantage of people. That's what he's displaying to Timothy here. This is what's going to happen. And Timothy, you need to watch out for them and you need to avoid them. But notice something interesting about verse 9. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was that of those two men. Isn't that interesting? After a while, he says, it's going to catch up to them. (laughs) They have the professing of godliness. They put on the show. They look like they're all spiritual. But really inside, they're lovers of self, lovers of money, heartless, ruthless, disobedient, all those descriptions that are given in there. And he says, you need to avoid them and watch out for them. They're taking advantage of people and opposing the truth. But guess what? Eventually, that becomes clear. If I could say that another way, you can only be fake for so long. You only can you can only be fake for so long. You can only put that front forward so many times until finally that veneer washes off and who you really are comes out. That's the picture that he's giving here about these behaviors. And so he warns them and says, You'll be able to see it. The consequences of that behavior will become evident. And now I want you to see why he wants Timothy to know this. Look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see why Paul wants Timothy to see this? In essence, the message is, I don't want you to be shaken. Timothy, you know what I've gone through. And I love the descriptions. You've heard my teaching. You followed my teaching. You've seen my conduct of life, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my suffering. Timothy, you've seen my whole life. It has all been on display for you. You know what I've gone through. And everyone who tries to live a godly life is going to go through the hardships and difficulties. And that, I think, is the main idea that he's getting across to Timothy. In other words, simply don't be surprised. 
And I guess sometimes I wish I'd read that sooner and let that sink in because I think sometimes I'm awfully surprised by what Christians say and do. And he's telling Timothy, you shouldn't be surprised at all that. Look at my life. Look at what's happened to me. Look at what these people have done. And you should be aware of the same. In fact, not only does he tell them in verse 12 that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But look at verse 13. While evil people and imposters are going to go from bad to worse. Here's Paul going, and don't think that's going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. It's going to keep happening. It's not like it's all going to subside. While living in the last days, there are going to be imposters who are taking advantage of people who are opposing the truth. And they are going to try to harm you. And as you try to live a godly life and do what is right, it's going to hurt. Things like this are going to happen. And that's the reason that he tells us to Timothy is not so that he would hang his head down and be discouraged, but rather to be solid, steadfast, and not shaken when that happens to you. I suppose you probably have similar stories that you've either experienced or heard of someone who will say, you know, I left the Lord or I don't go to that church because so-and-so did some terrible, awful, unchristian thing to me. And so therefore, that's, I'm just done with all that because if that's what people think Christianity is, or that's what the, then I'm not going to have any part of it. I want you to see Paul telling Timothy, there's going to be imposters all over the place. There are going to be people who profess godliness, who put on a show, who put on the veneer, but inside they are lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I hope that can be in one sense an encouragement to you to realize that's just the way it is. Because I believe what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is don't shrink back from your work and don't shrink back from the faith when you experience those kinds of things. Uh, I will tell you from my own experience, those are the times when I want to retract. I feel like I got my hand stuck in the trap. I won't ever do that again. (laughs) Somebody has harmed me who I was trying to help as a Christian. And so I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to keep my distance, watch out. And it's a reminder to us, we have to keep doing what is right. But realize those events are going to happen, that there are those who are professing godliness, but have no reality with God whatsoever. And on the surface for a time, it's not obvious who they are. He tells us in verse 9, it won't get far. Eventually those things will become clear and to avoid such ones. But in the meantime, those things are going to happen. So here is his help. Here's what he needs to do. Look at verse 14. But as for you, so here's, here's the direction. But as for you. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
So what are the directions? Notice in verses 14 and 15, it says, you need to continue in the teachings that you have heard. Stay in what you have taught. You can hear Paul just say, I've taught you the way you should go. You know to hold fast to those teachings. Don't let go of those teachings. Don't give up on those teachings because they are the things that will help you. Not only that, verse 15, he says, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And notice what the sacred writings are able to do. He says they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the scriptures, they are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, here's the thing that I think is fascinating about this. When Paul wrote this, what were the sacred writings? Genesis to Malachi. And he's saying those books are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. You say, wait a minute, Genesis to Malachi? Absolutely. How amazing it is that he says, those books can make you wise, bring you to salvation, generate faith in Christ Jesus. Right there in those very books. How sad it is those books have often been ignored. How often we think that the 27 New Testament books have a higher value or a greater ability to lead you to salvation and generate faith in Christ Jesus. When Paul goes, you were acquainted with the sacred writings from when you were a kid. You know what those things said and all of them point to Jesus and all of them are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. A beautiful picture. And I hope it'll be something that will always encourage you that sometimes maybe you've started this year in your reading plan and to think about even the book of Leviticus can make you wise to salvation through faith in Jesus. Or pick any other book. Zephaniah can make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the remedy that Paul is giving to Timothy. It's going to be difficult in the last days, but I want you to hold on to the word. I want you to hold on to the teachings. This is what is going to get, get you through. And here's the reason why. Verse 16. Because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is an amazing picture that's given. Some translations read inspired. Some translations like the ESV read breathed out because that's what that word means. That these words are the very words of God as if breathed out by God is the, the visual that's given to you. And so as the people of God, like the apostles and prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they are writing down the very words of God. And therefore, these words have benefit to our lives. And that every Every bit of what God wrote, he says, is able to teach us, expose our sin, correct our direction, and train us in right living. Those are the four things that he gives. It's profitable for teaching. So his word will teach you. It's profitable for reproof. That's sin exposure. It's profitable for correction. Puts you back on the right track. And it's profitable for telling you how you're supposed to go, training in righteousness. The word of God is able to accomplish that. 
And I want you to see why that's important, because he says this is so that we would be complete, equipped for every good work. He said that back in chapter one, that we would be equipped in that way. And Timothy, you would be equipped for these good works. And so now he says, here's how that happens. It is the word of God that is able to accomplish it. The word of God is the thing that is able to teach us what we need. It is able to point out our sin. It's supposed to be that sword that cuts right through to our very heart. It's supposed to show us where we're off the path and put us back on that path and show us the way that we need to go. Friends, if we are not in the word of God, we are walking blind. We're just walking blind in life. We don't see where we are. We don't see where we're going. We don't know the right way. Here we are just simply lost. This is a roadmap, the direction, the teaching, the correction, the training. All of it is sitting here so that we can be what God wants us to be. And here's the thing that I think is really important about all of this idea. Because I can stand here and say to you, this is the word of God and this is what the word of God does. It is breathed out from God's mouth and it does teaching and it will expose your sin and it will correct your life and put you on, on the right path. It sounds so simple. And I don't know why, but everybody who ever has difficulties, questions, problems, or gets off the path wants any other answer but when I say get into the Word of God. Now, there's got to be something else. There's not something else. There's no other thing. Nothing else is going to teach you. Nothing else is going to train you for righteousness. Nothing else is going to correct you. Nothing else is going to expose your sin. Nothing else is going to make you complete. Please let verse 17 really strike your ears. This is how we can be complete. And we want it in every other way. You know, it's going to be or some other fun thing, or I'm going to read a self-help book or some little devotional or something like that. And we're not going to get in to the word of God. We're going to let it sit over there and read what everybody, all the other people have to say about the Bible, but not the thing that actually will make you complete or will do some other thing. It's amazing to me how the very best counsel for our life to be able to stand in difficult times and to live a godly life when things get hard is to continue in the sacred scriptures. And that's not usually the answer we want. There's got to be something else. Give me the magic pill. Wave the magic wand. Do something. There's got to be a special trick. Here's the special trick. If you want to get through the difficulties and you want your faith to stand... You have to stay in the sacred writings. That's the only way we will be complete. It's the only thing that will make you complete. That's why I always tell to you Romans ten seventeen, Faith does not come any other way but by the word of Christ. We want faith will come by all of these other things. It will not. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. That's it. There's no other mechanism. And we have to be careful that we don't get off track and think it's going to be in some other way or some other thing. And so I want to end with this. Here's Paul writing to Timothy. And he's all about encouraging him to be strong. 
And he's telling Timothy, here's how you can be strong in the faith in these last days, how you can maintain faith in difficult times when your world is falling down, when the trials seem to be suffocating, when there seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when you're ready to give up on God, when you're feeling ashamed of the gospel and you're ready to shrink back. Here is the solution to ground yourself and spend time in God's word. That is what we need more and more and more and more of. I I will not soapbox, but just consider your life of how many things that we do wasting our time instead of the only thing that can ground faith, make you wise for salvation, and help you in difficult times when adversity strikes. There is only one thing. And it's unfortunate that sometimes the biggest dose we may ever get of God's word in a given week is maybe a two, three, four, five hours. And that's just not enough. He's telling us in verse one, understand this. In the last days, there's going to come difficulty. It's going to be hard. You're going to have resistance. And the people that you thought you could depend upon, you won't be able to depend upon but you need to be grounded in the word if you're going to be able to get through. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, it sometimes feels like, Lord, that we live in a time that has the greatest amount of distractions. There are so many things that immediately take our minds and our hearts off of you distract us from meditating on you praying to you and spending time in your word and then lord we wonder why our faith is is short and why it's difficult god i pray that you would forgive us for when we depend on anything else but you and that we fail to turn to your word for our strength and our help. God, I pray that we would have a perspective of your word, that we would look at it like oxygen and like water that we just need for life. Help us to see the value, the treasure that your word is. Help us to see that we need it for life and godliness. Help us to see how much we need it for our faith. And Lord, help us to to do things in our lives so that it's not just learning, but changing and doing what you've asked us to do from your word. Lord, I pray that the seeds of your word would always sink into our hearts, that they would make root that they would grow into plants that produce fruit towards you. Lord, forgive us for when our faith has failed and forgive us for when we have not been fruitful. Forgive us for how often we are distracted. Lord, help us to be far more focused on you in the days ahead. Remind us of these things. Remind us in our times of difficulty to turn to your word and to be the foundation for our life. Thank you for your love for us and our ability to speak to you and turn to you in this way. And it's through your son we pray this tonight. Amen. Amen.
One of the things that encourages me about this book is when you think about Paul writing these things to Timothy and I go, okay, good. Timothy wasn't Superman. He needed to hear these things too. He needed encouragement in hard times to be able to continue forward in the faith. And I hope that these words encourage you to do likewise as you move forward in walking with God, uh, not in fear, but in faith. We invite you to come to Jesus tonight. Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If we can help you in any way, come to the Lord. We want to do that now. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?